The reading today is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, a very old book in the Bible. You probably know it well, there's a time for everything. Personally, it's a very meaningful passage, as in 1986, when we were sitting with my 56-year-old mum in hospice, who was dying of cancer, she kept saying, is it time yet? And our reply, giving her peace, was from this passage. There is a time, it's God's time, and he knows your time. And for her then, as well as for us today, our times are in his hands. Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace, What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labour, for these are gifts from God. The love, joy and peace of God be with us all in this time. Willie Nelson wrote that song uh, that you heard today, Time of the Preacher, because not only is it Bing Crosby's birthday and James Brown's birthday and Pete Seeger's birthday, This weekend, we also saw Willie Nelson's birthday. He is 87 years young. Please, coronavirus, don't take Willie from us. You already took John Prine. Don't take Willie from us. Well, Willie wrote Time of the Preacher in 1975 as part of a larger concept album. That album was like nothing he had ever done before or since. And it was called The Red-Headed Stranger. And he's been known as the Red-Headed Stranger ever since. And it became a movie starring Willie himself as the preacher a decade later. It follows Willie, who plays Reverend Julian Shea, who comes from the east to the wild, wild west with burning evangelistic fire. And he is going to spread the gospel and convert the sinners. But his wife, who has traveled west with him, that seductress Morgan Fairchild, mm, she leaves the preacher for another man. Now, I've been there, Willie. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. But it wasn't okay. The preacher is heartbroken. He cried just like a baby. He screamed like a panther in the middle of the night, and he saddled up his pony, and he went for a ride. Where is Willie going? To take vengeance 
on his cheating wife and her new lover. He finds the couple in a saloon in some faraway mining town, and having traded his King James Bible for a six-shooter, the preacher guns them down so fast that they die, quote, with their smiles still on their faces. That's a line from one of the songs on that album and from the movie Blue Rock Montana, Montana, where this killing took place. Now, as an aside, the gunslinging preacher is an arch-typical anti-hero of the Wild Wild West. And for the record, the darker side of me loves it with all my heart. With Willie Nelson, it's Shay, the red-headed stranger. In the DC Comics and the television series based on that comic, the preacher is Jesse Custer, a chain-smoking drunk with unique powers who is trying to find his way back to God. For Clint Eastwood, the preacher is the only name given to the mysterious gunslinger in Pale Rider, an avenging angel, as it were, evening the score with the forces of evil. But back to Willie Nelson. The preacher, after taking his revenge, becomes lost in every meaning of the word possible. As one character says in the movie, he used to be a preacher before he took to killing. And he rambles town to town on a black horse, and with a bitter heart, he guns down a dozen people for various reasons, sometimes for even the slightest offense. He ends up, at the end of himself, a broken, guilt-ridden man. And he stops at this homestead, where there's a single mother, a widower, her name is Laurie, who is raising her only son. And he just starts plowing the ground there, prepping the field for planting. And Laurie asks the preacher, what made you do that? Just show up here and start plowing. And the preacher answers, I guess I'd already gone as far as I could in the other direction. And in Laurie, he finds love again. He finds redemption. He finds healing and restoration. The final song in the album, the final scene is him happily aging with Laurie, taking her son in as his own, singing Hands on the Wheel, another great song. He says, At a time when the world seems to be spinning hopelessly out of control, there's deceivers and believers and old in-betweeners that seem to have no place to go. Well, it's the same old song. It's right and it's wrong. And living is just something that I do. With no place to hide, I looked in your eyes, and I found myself in you. I looked to the stars, I tried all the bars, and I've nearly gone up in smoke. But now my hand's on the wheel, I've got something that's real, and I feel like I'm going home. That's just, that is fantastic. Masterpiece. What does this Bible preaching, vengeance-taking, gun-toting, redemption-seeking, love-finding cowboy story have to do with this reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Everything. Everything. First things first, the title of this book. Ecclesiastes is an ambiguous Hebrew word. The best translation is teacher or better yet, preacher. The preacher. That's the title of this book. And traditionally, the preacher is King Solomon, a man not unlike Willie Nelson in The Red-Headed Stranger, actually. Solomon lived an adventurous life, to say the least. Crown prince, king, wise man, sage, temple builder, even a Bible thumper for a while, but also a hedonist, an adulterer, a vengeance taker, a murderer. He played all of those roles and many more. 
And he comes to the end of his life, and that's where some scholars feel like he was when he wrote Ecclesiastes. And much of the light has been driven from his eyes. He comes across as a discouraged man in seek of redemption, absolution of some kind. The Solomon from the book of Proverbs is smart. He's quick. He's optimistic. He is the guy that says witty things at the cocktail party, things that you just know are magic, and people hang on his every word. The Solomon who wrote Song of Songs is a Casanova, a charmer, a lover, a seducer. He's all about sex and romance, and you'll either wake up in the morning in the bed with him, or you'll scurry away as fast as you can, still blushing from everything he had to say. He's just too much, but he is not boring. So when we come to Ecclesiastes... We are shocked that the preacher is the same man we knew when he was younger. There's a lesson here as an aside, but one that we shouldn't let pass. If you believe everything at 40 that you believed at 20, you've wasted 20 years of your life. If you believe everything at 60 that you believed at 40, you've wasted two more decades of your life. And if you believe everything at 80, that you believed at 60, you're just losing years one after the other. Don't lose your imagination as you age. Be careful to guard against pessimism and cynicism as you get older. Getting older isn't about the number of birthdays you have had. It's a function of the heart and the soul. Things Sure, they ache that didn't used to ache, and you get all metallic. Silver in your hair, gold in your teeth, and lead in your ass. I understand that. But in addition to going metallic, aging is also about losing your curiosity. It's about closing your mind. It's about stopping on the journey, getting off the train, and choosing to go no further. To learn nothing more and to cut yourself off from anything new, daring even a little dangerous. You can be like some of our friends among us at Simple Faith, like Paul LaRoche, who became a father after 50. Be like Jeff Allen, who has started a series of businesses after 60. Be like Etna Tosher, moved to the beach after 70. Be like Terry Olive, buy your first smartphone after 80. Be like Hilda McDonald, keep playing piano gigs in restaurants and bars after 90. Don't stop learning Don't stop growing. Don't stop loving. The minute you do those things, you are dead, even if you keep your body for several more decades. But back to the preacher. He's cynical. He's jaded. He's hardened by time and his experience. The theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is a single word, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Or as the old translations put it, vanity. Vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. The Hebrew word is havel, emptiness, uselessness, meaninglessness. It's used, this word havel is used about 60 times in the Old Testament, and 30 of those times, half the time, it's used in Ecclesiastes alone. Meaningless, meaningless, says the preacher. Everything is meaningless. That's the opening salvo of the book. 
And it's repeated over and over. Life is meaningless. Pleasure is meaningless. Success is meaningless. Wisdom is meaningless. Being a human being is meaningless. Dreaming of something better is meaningless. Money is meaningless. Laughter is meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless. This is the seedbed of Jewish existentialism, as it's called. And humor, humor me a minute. I am somewhat of an existentialist myself. What does that mean? Well, the shorter that of it means that the world makes no sense to me most of the time. The world is largely insane. Life is absurd. And I can't wait for someone to come along with a perfect formula, a perfect religion, a perfect politics, a perfect scientific hypothesis, a perfect ideology, or a perfect moral code that will sort it all out nice and neat. I've fallen into that trap in my life. It does not exist. There is no utopia. It is up to me, it is up to us, all of us, to enter into the absurdity of living and to see the world for how it really is. And then to discover who we really are in light of these surroundings. We have to find our true, authentic selves in the face of, in spite of, so much that is false and misleading around us. We make meaning for ourselves, though we are surrounded by everything that is meaningless. Now, an example of what I'm saying. Have you ever been to, to a blacksmith? And that's a lost art form for the most part, unless you've um, watched blacksmith on History Channel, or if you go to a Renaissance festival, you go to some homesteader museum, then you'll see actual working blacksmiths. But it's really an art form, if anything at all. What does that blacksmith do? He or she takes wrought iron, junk, just chunks of metal, and by forge, and by fire, and by anvil, and by hammer, creates something useful, even beautiful, out of what was not there. You put wrought iron into a forge, a giant heated oven, you put that iron in the oven, get it up to 900 degrees before it glows red. You put steel in that same oven. You have to get it to 2,500 degrees before it will glow white. But once you use that kind of heat and pressure, you remove it from the, from the furnace, and then you pound it with the hammer, the striking of the blow, to make it malleable, to make it changeable, to make it useful. It takes a lot of working it out. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. It takes a lot of hammer blows to get something meaningful out of what appeared ugly and useless. And I think that's what a lot of us are doing, even more so in these recent days. We're not just trying to make sense of things. We are working it out. And I know for my part, I ask and don't yet have answers to some of the bigger questions. And these have been around since the time of the preacher in Ecclesiastes. How can there be such a good God when there is such a stupid world? 
How can I hold to faith when everything around me feels so empty? Why even try? Why even try when it doesn't seem to matter? But we keep trying, don't we? We keep believing. We constantly gather those raw materials and cast them in the fire. We are forever pounding the steel to shape something beautiful and useful. That's what we are doing when we pray, when we take long, quiet walks, when we contemplate, when we meditate, when we sit in silence. It's what we are doing when we lie awake at night with insomnia and our minds are unable to stop whirling. It's what we do when we decide I've got to get up and go to work anyway today. It's what we do by keep keeping to care. It's what we do when we keep hoping. What we're doing is swinging that hammer, Pete Seeger, because it's a hammer of justice. We're ringing that bell because we believe in freedom. We keep singing that song about love all over this land because we are forging purpose, making meaning where no meaning seems to be found. In Ecclesiastes, in our text today, we see the pain staking exercise taking place in these dozen or so verses. In verses 1 through 8, the preacher shows us the problem. And I know these verses are a, are a nice neo-communist hippie dream, just as Pete Seeger intended it to be when he wrote, Turn, Turn, Turn. But that's not the statement Solomon was trying to make, as much as I love that song, particularly the version by the birds. It's not about the age of Aquarius or some utopia to come once evil and war and injustice haven't expended their time. No, the preacher is saying this. As life now is, it once was. And as life once was, it will be so in the future. Life has continued in these cycles, more or less the same, running along the same rails, returning over and over again to the same places. People are born, people die. It's always been that way. We plant and we harvest, we kill and we heal. We destroy things and we create things. We cry, we laugh, we grieve, we dance, just as all humanity has ever done and ever will do. We gather, we scatter, we embrace, we turn away, we seek, we give up, we keep, we throw away, we rip and tear, we mend and repair, we are struck silent, we make noise, we love, we hate, we make war, we make peace. It has always been this way. It will always be this way. Personalities will change. Times will change. Technologies will change. Empires will rise and fall. But history, if it doesn't repeat itself, as the saying goes, it certainly rhymes. And the circle of life just keeps rolling along, each of us playing our bit parts on the stage while it is our turn. We took someone else's place on this stage, and when we expire, someone else will take our spot on the stage. The preacher's assessment is absolutely correct. The absurdity of it all rolls on like a ceaseless, unstoppable runaway train. That's the problem. In this cycle, we have to make meaning out of that. And so we come to verses 9 through 13. Hidden beneath his cynicism, hidden beneath his weariness, the preacher takes his hammer to a lifetime of experience and answers one of the most important questions that can ever be asked. How then should I live? If this is my world and this is how it is, how do I live? 
He speaks of our work, the burden of existence and eternity that has been placed upon us and within us and of the incomprehensible mystery that is God and life. And then he gives us the answer. There is nothing better than to be happy. Enjoy yourself as long as you can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor for these are gifts from God. <laughs> every time, every time, go read this book. Go read the preacher's words. Every time in this book that he throws up his hands in defeat, like Willie Nelson saying, I've gone as far as I could the other way, the preacher turns and makes his way back home. Ecclesiastes 2, I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in my work. These pleasures are from the hand of God. Chapter 5, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work during the short life God has given them. This is a gift from God. Chapter 9, eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Live happily with the one you love through all the meaningless days of life God has given you. On and on I could go. It's this simple. And this is not one of those perfect ideologies to come along, but it is this simple. If you have good food, something good to drink, are loved by a good man or a good woman, have good friends and good work that you believe in, or if you've ever had those things, you have everything. You are living the most meaningful existence in the history of the world. You have forged a true life in the midst of, a futility. You made a decision to make meaning out of the nonsense, just as the preacher did. Solomon, of course, that preacher, but also Willie Nelson's preacher. At a time when the world seems to be spinning hopelessly out of control, there's deceivers and believers and old in-betweeners that seem to have no place to go. It's the same old song. It's right and it's wrong. I looked to the stars, tried all the bars, and I've nearly gone up in smoke. But now my hand's on the wheel. I've got something that's real. And I feel like I'm going home. That'll work for this preacher too. Because that's how we find meaning in this world.